Hey y'all, it's Mandy. Before we dive into this week's episode, I just want to take a moment and thank my patrons and premium subscribers who have been here partnering with me to create this work. I love doing this with a team. So if you are interested in being someone who creates this resourcing for people who live in care deserts or who just don't have a safe community to discuss grief, check out the show notes to become a patron of the show. You'll get access to monthly bonus episodes as well as our live chat over on Discord. And I would love to hear from you. Okay, that's all I had to say. Now let's get into this week's episode. Welcome back to Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart. You are listening to episode 81, titled Somatic Embodiment Will Change Your Life with Greg Whiting. Hello, everyone. This week, my guest is a brilliant human named Greg Whiting, and I cannot wait for you to hear his wisdom around somatic healing. Greg is a 20-year veteran of the healing industry dedicated to understanding the way unresolved trauma impacts how we show up in the world. He uses a combination of neuroscience, energy medicine, somatics, and mindfulness to invite clients to move out of their heads and into their bodies as they work toward the innate wisdom of their being and a new way of showing up in life, just like we've been talking about. See, his work underlines the reasons I decided somatic embodiment was a crucial aspect of grief work. And if you're interested, he's offering a free masterclass on healing anxiety, depression, and chronic pain through his program called Prisma. The link is in the show notes, but the good stuff is coming up right now in the interview. Welcome back, everybody, to Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart. I'm here today with Greg Whiting. Greg, how are you this morning? Doing great, Mandy. How are you? I am doing really well. Thank you. So I know a little bit about your work. You are this healing, I won't say guru because I think that's very silly, but you are this very strong presence in the healing community. And I've looked over a little bit of your work, both with Prisma and Body Talk. And I am just so excited to hear more about the programs you use to help people show up for themselves. So why don't you give us a little bit more information? Sure. Yeah. I Primarily, I'm helping folks heal trauma that is really at the root of their anxiety, depression, chronic pain, and chronic illness. Mm. Um, I have a team of psychiatrists that refers complex trauma and PTSD patients to me. Uh, I have a knack of helping folks reduce or eliminate their dependence on antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds, um, sleep medication, pain medication. Um, I have a bunch of naturopathic doctors that refer patients to me who, you know, are doing all the right things. They are on the right supplements and their lifestyle is dialed in, yet they still can't resolve this inflammation. And it's like this inflammation, which signals to them, it's more emotional in nature. So really helping people flush out the trauma that is stored in the body that's impacting the subconscious and unconscious mind behaviors and beliefs and that chronic stress that is really a, a contributing factor to chronic illness. Yeah. You say those things to me and I understand because I do somatic embodiment work with people as well. Um, and I just want to see if we can break it down a little bit more. Cause I think, and you may have run into this as well in my work, I have a time with people who say, well, wait a minute, antidepressants aren't a bad thing. And that medication is there for a reason. And that's true. It absolutely is. But I think that articulating the need to go deeper than that, to teach and, and work with people to metabolize that unresolved trauma in their lives is really 
such a powerful place to work from. How do you approach it for someone who would come to you and say like, listen, I am doing all the right things and they've referred me to you and I don't get it. I, I have no understanding um, of why this unresolved trauma or I don't have unresolved trauma in my life. I don't know why this inflammation persists or I don't know why insomnia persists. How would you work with someone to get to them to that place where they can see how their story is fleshing out from old plot points once upon a time? Sure. Yeah. And first and foremost, I'm all for an integrative approach. There is no one right way to heal and there's no one right treatment plan. So everyone's journey is unique. And sometimes pain and symptom management is necessary. And sometimes medication is just the right thing for a lot of folks. Yeah. Uh, however, I am very clear that, you know, medication is really just helping to manage symptoms, not actually heal root cause yeah. of and again, sometimes we're in a rough patch and that is necessary. Uh, however, for folks that maybe don't want to, a lot of folks who are coming to me, you know, I just spoke with a, a new client who's onboarding with me and they've been medicated for decades. And they're just like, I don't want to live the rest of my life this way. Right. Uh, and yeah, doing that deeper dive of healing kind of scares me. Um, but, you know, my work is helping to bypass the brain. So what if we can actually heal trauma without talking about trauma? What if we can heal trauma without having to rehash trauma? Um, and so, yeah, I'm all for an integrative approach. My goal isn't to get people off their medication. My goal is for people to live their best life. And if that is a little bit of both, that's great. But a lot of folks, once they've healed the attachment wounding and the trauma that's often beneath, let's say, the chemical imbalance that is being treated with medication, um, they often no longer are dependent upon it and find a lot of freedom and relief in it, being able to wean off or entirely come off of these medications. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of, you know, the, the idea that I don't have any trauma, I think a lot of us identify that trauma uh, is the bad things that has happened to us. But, you know, a big part of traumatic experience for many of us is a lack of emotional attunement or that neglect, you know, our, the lack of having reliable, consistent caregiving, that emotional attunement, which can signal if I'm not getting my needs met in a reliable and consistent way in early development, that can signal life or death. So that can start to set off an entire, you know, lifetime of hypervigilance and this, you know, um, really over adrenalized activated state through life, which is going to have its detriment, you know, that has a caustic effect on all aspects of our health. And so that's, that's the trauma that, yeah, a lot of us, I think, has more of a um, insidious effect, because yes. yeah, it's not right in our face. Yeah. And just for someone listening who may not know, attunement is that reactiveness we have to other people. And it doesn't necessarily mean like explosive reactions. It means how are we responding internally to the presence of the other person, like that nervous system matching where we're in the presence of someone and we feel safe, we feel nurtured, we feel connected. And to your point, that's something that most of us don't necessarily consider to be trauma when we don't have that. Um, and I will say too, one thing that I found maybe just for someone listening, that's like, oh, cool. I had, I'm a parent and I'm not natural and, and reacting well to my child or whatever. Attunement only needs to happen like 30, 40% of the time to be consistent enough to create that healthy kind of harmonic connection between the other person. 
Yeah, that's a, I appreciate that point too. Yeah, it's it's impossible for any of us to be a two hundred percent of the time. Right. And so we're gonna we're gonna miss, and that's a lot of the healing repair later in life. Yeah. Is how do we how do we come back into connection after we've had a break in connection yeah. and you know creating new templates and that's a lot of what healing is is developing the capacity mm-hmm. to to understand and identify our needs and then communicate them and then to navigate and support ourselves when those needs aren't met um and how do we then come back into connection again and again yeah I think that what you brought up earlier too, about we don't have to necessarily talk through our traumas or revisit them to find a way to heal them is so important. Um, in my grief work, I find people who consistently will say, well, can we talk through the things that happened to me? And, and, and occasionally I'll say, yes, that's fine. Uh, but most often I'll do what you've said by saying, we don't, I don't need to know what you've experienced details and storyline in order to partner with you to move into something different. So what is one of the tools that you would present in that same situation for a person who comes in and says, okay, I don't want to use my cognitive processing here. I want to use my somatic processing. Where would you start with that person who has no idea what somatic processing could be? Yeah. Um, And yeah, I agree. I think sometimes people want to be held in their story and there can be value in that. Um, And so there is space for that. However, not particularly necessary. And in some cases, especially with a lot of my clients suffering with chronic pain, the more we talk about our pain, the more we're activating the sympathetic nervous system and the more it can lend to the pain becoming chronic. So for me, I'll gently pattern interrupt. Hey, can I jump in here for a moment? Um, Mm -hmm. There's space if you want to elaborate, but I'm curious if we can bring you in touch with what you're actually feeling, what's present in your body, right? And so just helping folks start to track direct lived experience um, instead of tracking the storyline, helping them track the, the, the physical experience that they are present to in the moment. And that may not always be available, right? We may right. be completely shut down and just living from the neck up. And so we can't force that process. Um, you know, a lot of the tools and practices I work with with energy medicine are helping to create the climate for that to emerge over time. And so then it's more of, it's, it's more somatic experiencing, um, not the actual practice, but the exp- coming into an experience of one's somatic self becomes more of a happening, right? And so while there may be some guidance and prompts I can offer and invitations I can offer, um, really that connection to self and to body um, becomes an emerging experience really through the, the relational field and through the, the therapeutic context of the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I talk about the, the term innate wisdom, um, which I believe was first developed in the world of chiropractic decades ago. But if we have a paper cut, there's some intelligence or healing mechanism within us that heals that paper cut, that sends platelets and proteins and orchestrates all these biochemical reactions to heal the paper cut. So I look at my work as just helping restore, helping people restore their connection to their innate wisdom, which is their innate ability to heal themselves. And so if the body and the mind and the spirit are a symphony orchestra and all the different parts of the body are in communication, we're making sweet music. And that's this expression of health and then trauma and stress 
uh, you know, starts to flood the nervous system, overwhelm the system, and it breaks up the communication between all the parts. So I look at healing as helping us to reconnect to our innate wisdom, which helps to break up the noise. So we come back into this, this harmony, this symphony, um, you know, this musicality of being. Um, so it's just a returning to wholeness and just a remembering of who we are. And I find that, yeah, we create the climate for that. And then that's more of a happening than a doing. Hmm. More than more of a happening than a doing. I really love that. And what you were just saying reminded me a lot of, um, I, it was a, I think it was a Japanese scientist, but I, I will not remember any other detail other than to say, I remember seeing these beautiful, uh, videos studying the impact of sound on the molecules of water. And they would play, uh, or excuse me, they wouldn't play, they would speak words that had positive connotation to water that was under a microscope and they would watch the uh, molecules form shapes. And when they spoke words that had a negative energy or negative connotation, they formed this discordant, harsh angles and terrible shapes. And when they spoke positive, they were beautiful and almost like snowflakes. And so I bring that up because I think about sound and language. And when I think of energy healing, that's where my thoughts go to. I know that the phrase energy healing is scary for a lot of people and off-putting and in our Western world, especially, I'm sure you've encountered this where that becomes such a, for lack of a better way of saying it, woo-woo concept that it kind of freaks people out. And this is something I've experienced in my work in somatics. And as I've drawn people in and explained more, of course, they become more familiar and understanding. I'm curious how you approach any kind of resistance. I mean, at some point people are being referred to you because they trust their physicians and they're showing up on your doorstep because they're willing to trust you too. So how do you decrease that resistance without, without, you know, being a forceful person like I am and just saying, just be, just trust me, just listen. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm not here to convince anyone of anything. Um, by the time folks find me, they are looking for results and they see that I get results, uh, often sharing my own journey. Um, yeah. it's really compelling. I am three inches taller today than I was 25 years ago. Um, so I used to suffer mm -hmm. debilitating chronic pain, anxiety, and depression. And so that scoliosis, that curve in my spine was literally the posturing of my wounding and my trauma. So mm -hmm. think of the vibration of fear and guarding and protection and shame. Well, my, my body literally took that shape back to kind of these water molecules. So healing helped me restructure the, the emotional, mental, and physical expression of who I am. And that allowed my spine to unravel three inches. I'm no longer in pain. I no longer suffer from anxiety or depression. So folks who are compelled by my transformation and seeing, you know, I have dozens of, you know, client testimonials that, you know, I invite people to look at before we hop on a call just to see, hey, these are the types of results I, I help people get. But my job is really to democratize and demystify healing to make it as practical and accessible as possible. Um, I think there is a lot of mystique in the world of healing. And my job is to not carry myself in that 
that realm of mystique, but to make it as grounded and practical as possible. So, you and I talk about how we store trauma and emotion in our connective tissue and fascia. And so how that for me was impacting my musculoskeletal system because it was pulling on the muscles and bones, holding me in this, excuse me, rigid pattern of trauma and how working with energy medicine helps to calm the cardiovascular system, regulate the nervous system, you know, strengthen immune function, which all of those those aspects are helping to align us to our innate wisdom. So we reclaim access to our body's own healing potential. And then the body can start to repattern and reorganize and restructure itself. Mm-hmm. You know, a good, a good case study that illustrates that I had a client that came to me with a football sized fibroid. And, you know, through our work together, we process, helped her process, you know, a lot of grief from two significant losses in her life. There was shame and fear tied into um, this loss of a business. And as she processed those emotional experiences and re, kind of restructured her relationship to those significant experiences in her life, that football-sized fibroid drastically shrunk to less than the size of a baseball. Um, and so, you know, I once had someone contact me and they said, you know, I I don't really know if I believe that emotions are stored in the body. I said, okay, then this may not be the work for you. But Mm -hmm. if you have a sense that, you know, what's, you know, compromising your health and keeping you stuck has an emotional component, I'm your guy. Um, So I I don't take too much time to try to convince folks. Uh, I just kind of lay out my lived experience and, Mm -hmm. you know, my my testimonials kind of speak for themselves. I just want to, I realize this is not a video format show, but as I, as you were speaking, I caught speaking of somatics, I'm catching my own body, like swaying in agreement to what you're saying, because there's so much power in even feeling a sensation of height, right? Like this morning, a friend of mine was just reminding me and affirming some things in me that I was doubting. And after the conversation, I felt taller. It's such an interesting I mean, part of it might be mental, but at the same time, there's that inner strength and inner height that we allow ourselves to collapse in when we are going through loss or carrying grief or literally laboring under the weight of the things that we've carried and believed to be true for so long because of trauma, because of a lack of connection, whatever has introduced itself in our lives. And I think that that's a really powerful thing. For me, that's a way that I start inviting clients into somatics is just to notice what does your body do when you're hearing someone speak positive or not so positive, (laughs) like paying attention and learning to create self-attunement, I think is really a crucial pathway for people. Well, and it's helping us then live in direct experience with what is. And so instead of thinking about what is, we're experiencing what is. Mm. that's where we reclaim, you know, our sense of agency and our sense of presence, um, you know, our ability to feel ourselves uh, instead of think about ourselves. And um, yeah, that pathway to presence is a pathway to power. It's a really interesting juxtaposition against, not even against, just alongside the logical brain, the people who are very, you know, process oriented, very detailed and want all of the big picture. I'm thinking about someone I love very dearly who would be a wonderful candidate for your work, but would definitely want, you know, a map. I would like points A, B, C, D, and E all lined out so that I know what to expect. 
how do you, how do you help invite that personality to soften in your work? Yeah. Um, well, I think there's just the building trust and just in, you know, my initial conversation with a potential client, you know, getting to understand what's, what's beneath that concern and mm-hmm. just getting really curious and mm-hmm. just building that bridge of understanding, um, mm-hmm. I think is a big piece because then I'm, yeah, very much kind of guiding folks step by step. And so mm-hmm. in my conversation with, you know, onboarding this new client yesterday, I said, you know, <clears throat> some clients process top down. That means they need to grok something intellectually before it starts to reorganize and land in the body. And other folks process bottom up where they need to feel something shift physically in their body before the light bulb goes off in their brain. And actually working with energy medicine, I think of healing as multidirectional, where we may be working with an emotion in the body. And as that emotion in the body, you know, processes, it uh, turns the light bulb on on the brain. But then as the light bulb on the brain goes off, then other things start to reorganize in the body um, in a very multidirectional way. And how everyone's different. So creating the invitation for each person to have their own experience. And so for me, you know, I'm building rapport through my work and checking in with folks every step of the way. Do you have any questions? Where how's this landing for you? Where are you at? And giving permission for each person to have their own unique experience and trust that that's just right. Um, so, you know, I have the folks that process bottom up who kind of go deep into the body and who go more into a meditative state and they're feeling things move in their body. And then I have folks who process more top down. So they're very much speaking about their experience while I'm working more energetically. Um, and often I think the work helps to create a balance between both. So then folks can, while they're talking about something, start to feel something in their body and vice versa. Um, and so, yeah, really, really meeting people where they're at. Um, but with that, my course, my school, I have the Prisma pillars. So yeah. kind of seven pillars that really guide people through a journey of healing. So it's kind of like the roadmap and the essential drop pins on that map that help people get their bearings straight because yeah, healing is, can be a long and windy road. And so just helping people understand what are some of the, what are some of the mile markers along the way? I love that because that's similar to what I say to people is we're not looking for a path. We're looking for your path that is meaningful and what means something to you will be different to me. And so without your own personal investment and your embodied understanding, I love that you use the word grok. I have a friend that uses it and it's so casual and no one knows what it means, but that physical like understanding that really finally clicks that embodied understanding is so powerful because it, it changes the way you approach everything, the way you approach learning to cook, learning to play soccer, learning to read a book for comprehension. It's such a different way of learning and, and, and understanding really than we've ever been taught to do through our traditional, you know, education approaches. And we each get there in our own unique path. You know, at one point I was working with two uh, sisters, they were identical twins. So, you know, they came into this world with the same genetics. They have the same environment. They actually had very similar health challenges, but their healing journey looked very different and took each of them in very different directions. So they had different responses and different results, you know, both positive, but in, you know, we're helping people explore 
and express their potential. And, um, you know, our potential is unique to uh, each individual. So tell me a little bit about some of the modalities you use inside of your Prisma um, framework. Sure. So yeah, I developed Prisma really not on purpose. I developed Prisma um, really through gathering all the tools and practices that I found I needed to heal myself. And then as I started to intuitively share these practices over the last two decades, um, started to kind of piece them together and then reverse engineer kind of the pathway I took to heal myself. So Prisma overlays trauma and neuroscience uh, with somatics and mindfulness and energy medicine. Uh, and so, yeah, the energy medicine I find is really the vehicle that helps us bypass the brain and heal, um, you know, the pain that we can't think or talk our way through. Um, you know, I think the somatics and the mindfulness are really both the mind and body training we need to reorient both the mind and the body from pain to possibility, um, and to really drop identification with our wounding. And then the trauma and the neuroscience roadmap just helps us have a, an understanding of the body and the brain and the nervous system. Um, and within that is the map of the seven pillars, which is really a journey from pain to purpose, from nervous system regulation to embodiment, to emotional attunement, to a sense of belonging within the heart to reorient or align to our values. Narration, which is really flipping the script on the stories and the beliefs and the behaviors once organized around pain and really helping to step out of these, these, these group or these ruts and turn them into grooves. Um, and then identity, which is yeah, really shifting these fixed concepts of who we are to understand that who we are is really dynamic change and process, not fixed, not rigid. And then impact, really understanding purpose as intrinsically, not extrinsically motivated and really an expression of who we are. So the power of presence to kind of inform how we can best make an impact in the world. Um, you know, there's a lot of research that a sense of purpose really helps to strengthen our resolve and to strengthen resilience. And so how locating a sense of place, purpose, meaning, and significance can really help fortify our ability to heal. Yeah, that's that. I'm so glad you said a little bit more about that because when you say, what's your purpose? people look at you like a deer in headlights, right? They're ten they tend to, unless they've done a lot of work around it, feel very overwhelmed by such a question. And then if they're not completely overwhelmed by it, they will immediately tell you what it is they do for a living, right? They say, oh, well, I work with, you know, at this company and I'm a finance guy or whatever it is, as opposed to recognizing, well, no, your intrinsic purpose is different than what you externally do or complete in the world. And for, in my grief work with clients, what I do is a lot of core value work around that and helping let's drill down so that you can simplify all of the input and find a way to really engage purpose differently from a, a different perspective. So that exactly what you're saying, all of these pieces and, and tools that are existing are suddenly more available to you because you, I honestly, I think because you believe that you deserve access to brilliant processes and natural medicines and different ways of looking at the world uh, like you're presenting to people. Yeah, I look at, you know, I like the 
the image of a constellation and each mm. star knows its place in the constellation. And so it's like knowing our place in the cosmic order. Mm. That's all purpose is. And then there's actually nothing to do. There's just an opportunity to be ourselves and to shine bright, so to speak, with that that metaphor of the the, the constellation. And mm. so, yeah, we're so wired to yeah define who we are by what we do and so yeah purpose is really an emanation of being and how that then becomes a generative force in our lives and how that becomes a healing force in our lives so you know who we are becomes uh you know we become a healing vessel in the world through you know being ourselves i want to stay on this topic just for another moment i'm thinking a lot about clients i work with who have more religious trauma who have maybe spent a large part of their life looking for purpose in not necessarily external things like a religious framework, but who have internalized faith to a degree that it created purpose for them. And now they've stepped away or stepped into a different framework of that faith. And I realize this isn't necessarily your wheelhouse, but my question for you is how would you then approach that type of traumatic experience or a complete paradigm shift for someone who comes to you, who is also carrying all of these other pieces, as we'll call it standard trauma of a broken attunement or broken attachments, um, who is also then having this layer of what does it all mean? And now everything feels meaningless or does it has these kind of questions. What would you, how would you approach that person? I mean, I think to some degree, anyone with any type of trauma has a lot of those similar questions, um, even though the context may be different. And so for me, it's really just holding space for that wisdom to emerge. Um, just like I think purpose emerges from the inside out. It's not something we figure out or find outside of ourselves. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, having that conversation to create that that understanding to allow, allow the answers to emerge. Um, so... Something I share often is that, you know, I think we are in a rush to have all the answers, to figure everything out, to be on top of it, to feel in control, to have, you know, see the entire playing field. So a lot of what I share in our, my work is just a reminder that, guess what? We don't need to figure it out intellectually. The body's innate wisdom is figuring things out from the inside out. And so then these light bulbs will go off on their own, um, you know, in their own time. So kind of back to the idea that we don't necessarily need to talk about trauma to heal it. I remember once I was working with a client who, yeah, had a lot of early childhood trauma that was tied into, you know, a family member. Um, and so she mentioned that in our first discovery call. And then through our work together, we literally never discussed that family member we never discussed any of that trauma. Um, but months down the line, they came back to a session and said, you know, my, my relationship to that family member and to that traumatic experience has completely shifted. Hmm. You know, so over time, as they restored more and more connection to their innate wisdom, and they became more established in their wholeness, and that symphony orchestra was expressing more music and less noise, then these imprints of trauma and these adverse experiences just become more neutralized, right? We get to relate to them from a more dynamic and a more whole, a more integrated, a more secure place. So then we start to, yeah, relate to these, these 
these wounds, these hurts um, from a place of more awareness. And so um, that's, again, coming back to that becomes a happening, not a doing. Um, and so I'll always remind folks that, hey, even if stuff does surface in our work together, you know, I'll sometimes joke, don't think about it at all between our next session, because, you know, the, the, the body's wisdom is reorganizing around it. So you don't have to reorganize and figure it out here until you do, and then you will, but that'll happen. It, it won't be because you're ruminating or stewing on it. Hmm. You have a lot of beautiful, easy to say they're binaries, like happening versus doing or music versus noise. And I love that you're not actually, I know that you're not implying it's one or the other. I think, so I just want to articulate that out loud. It is a spectrum that we will all be in that place where sometimes things feel very musical or they feel very noisy. And that doesn't mean that we have failed, nor does it mean that we have arrived, that it means that we are in fact practicing that innate wisdom and experiencing it on the flow, in a, in a flow state, which is truly what we were meant to do. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the tools I'll share too, you know, through a somatic check-in. Can we track multiple lived experiences simultaneously? So can mm. we track some of the music while also tracking some of the noise? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, there may be moments where we feel completely harmonic, and, um, but other times we may be tracking a lot of sweet music here, but there's something a little discordant over here. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's not a bad thing. You know, the mindfulness practice helps us notice what is, and be with what is without judging it, without creating a commentary about it, yeah. um, just noticing it. And the more we develop that capacity, um, which can feel rather counterintuitive if what we're noticing is pain, right. um, but learn how to notice it with love, learn how to notice it with compassion, learn how to notice it with acceptance, Yeah, which again can feel... Um, we, we, that we can't force that process because of what we're noticing is really hard pain and wounding. We may not have the capacity yet to love it or move closer to it. You know, so we start to develop that capacity. Yeah. Yeah. So that point too, you know, we're developing more safety. We're developing more resource, but oftentimes then that's helping us be with what still doesn't feel safe. Yeah. Still doesn't resourced. Yeah. And that reminds me, speaking of resourcing of pendulation, that Peter Levine principle of going back and forth in your body between what feels good and noticing things that maybe don't feel so good. And, and that ability to recognize, oh, both things can be true. I can exist in stasis and still be okay with, with discomfort and comfort within me at the same time. And it really allows us to personally, it has allowed me to get away from imposter syndrome. When I notice that that cognitive experience arises, whether I'm doing something I've done a million times, or I'm doing something that's brand new, when it comes to the surface, I'm able to say, oh, okay, I see you. But I also know that these 10 things are true. And so I'm going to allow you to be there and say, I, I get it. I, I would want to undermine me too. This is a lot of really powerful stuff I'm experiencing. And who knows what would rather have me not believe in myself or believe that healing is possible or whatever it is. But I think that imposter syndrome in this context is such a fascinating um, thought exercise, really, just because of how prevalent it is when it comes to people experiencing healing. Like, 
I have a client who bless their heart will come every session and say, well, what we did and talked about and experienced felt really good that day, but then everything went back to how it was. And it just, I've had that conversation with them multiple times to say, do you feel like an imposter when you experience something so radically different than what you've experienced your entire life? And their answer is usually, yeah, I do. Is that something that you've ever encountered with people or, or, I mean, in, in my head, I'm not sure what's blocking them from experiencing and being able to set that aside. So I'm just curious what, uh, what your professional take would be on that. Someone who says that's really great, but I'm not getting past whatever block this is that says I have access to this somatic wisdom. I have permission to be this embodied, powerful person. It takes time and practice, right? We get a glimpse of that somatic wisdom and then, you know, we lose that glimpse. But each time we get another glimpse, it's like two steps forward, one step back. And so Mm -hmm. kind of building that end that, you know, each time we enter into a new understanding of ourselves, you know, we're going to then revisit the parts that it hasn't fully seeped into and, you know, revisit the old patterning, the old pathways. Um, And, you know, I think healing is kind of like a bow and arrow where, you know, we have to stretch back into the old patterning to propel us into the new patterning. So it's never a one and done. Um, We'll often be revisiting a lot of the old patterns, but again, from a new iteration, from a new understanding. Um, So it takes time and practice. Um, And, you know, if I am finding, you know, there's different tools for different folks, right? So there may be certain practices that aren't um, sticking for certain individuals. So then it may be, okay, let me continue to discover, are there other practices or avenues that can really help me integrate more deeply? Mm. Um, Beautiful. I love that picture of the bow and arrow. I love all of your metaphors, but I love that one, especially because I think like we said earlier, you don't have to revisit a trauma to revisit the patterns it's created in your life, to recognize uh, the way that it has impacted you and shaped how you move through the world to change those. What did you say? Ruts into grooves. I really love that visual too, of just like, Oh, it's a softening of the edges. It's a, a, a deepening of the side paths, the other ways forward. So that when you come into that, it's just a blip. It's not so much of a trip. Um, and, you know, becoming established in these new patternings, in a new awareness, in a new, you know, molecular structure, a new vibrational signature, if you will, mm-hmm. um, takes time. I once had a client who, you know, they were coming to me, their stress was off the charts, their anxiety was off the charts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they felt that their marriage was about to fall apart. You know, they didn't know how to live other than with pedal to the metal, you know, over adrenalized stress just is what fueled 24 seven. And we got to a phase in our work where they were more relaxed than they ever knew. Mm-hmm. Um, but that terrified them because they thought, well, my life might fall apart. Like, I don't know who I am when I'm relaxed. Like, this is so foreign to me. And my, what if my whole life falls apart? Cause I built my entire life from this over adrenalized, you know, place of stress. And so that took time, right? I like the imagery of a seaplane landing on water, you know, it touches down, but then it bounces back up. It touches down and then it bounces back up. So it takes a while for us to feel that 
wow, this safe baseline is okay. So safety may not feel safe if what we're used to is anything but. Um, and so, yeah, that journey is, takes time. And, you know, our timelines are each unique and individual. Uh, but I'm pretty upfront working with clients and students that, you know, there are no silver bullets when it comes to healing. You know, there are, I think, anxiety hacks or lies. I think we can have a lot of tools that can help us regulate. And, you know, if our nervous system gets flooded, help us come back to a baseline. Right. But I think a lot of people are using those hacks as if they are what's actually healing the attachment wounding and the right. trauma that is actually the at the root of anxiety. Because once you actually heal what's at the root, then these blips of anxiety um, are going to become far, you know, much less or far and few between. Yeah. I mean, it's marketing, right? It's that impact of social media and online world where we say, oh, here's three quick anxiety hacks. The next time you have a breakdown at work. No, babe, those are just settle yourself. So you don't explode at work. Those are not resolving the underlying issues. And I'll put myself out here to say I had this moment the other day, I was at the dentist and I hate the dentist. I didn't used to, but as an adult developed this aversion to the dentist and I was there for a cleaning and I laid there for the first 20 minutes of it, noticing, just noticing. I'm like, I can't fix anything right now, but I can sure notice what I'm doing. And every inch of me was clenched. And this is a dentist office that has like the massage chair with the heat too. Didn't matter. I was so tense thinking about the rest of my day. And this was first thing in the morning. And it took me about 20 minutes to get to a place where I recognized I want to feel differently the rest of my day. I don't want this to carry all through. So I'm going to start with my toes. And I took myself through my whole body, bottom to top and said, let me just relax this part of me. Oh, that part of me doesn't want to relax. Okay. That's okay. You don't have to, the rest of us are going to relax. And then I'm going to carry this thought process into my next hour of time after the dentist and my next appointment, because everything was, it was a crazy day. And I got to the end of my day and I reflected back thinking, what did I do? What worked? What didn't work? And I had this moment of revelation where I just immediately felt this embodied wisdom for myself of that is exactly, that is, that is the work. There's no arrival. There's no, I woke up today feeling perfectly embodied and, and present. So the dentist is not going to affect me. No, actually I'm still human. I'm still working through all the things and I'm still going to show up even as someone who does this professionally in my own life with things that need attention, that with things that need patience and compassionate curiosity about what I'm experiencing. And I think that that is the same as your testimony, right? It's this recognition that our humanity remains even amid all the work that we do. And it is not a dis as a dissuasion from continuing to do the work, continuing to learn a new way of living and showing up for ourselves. Yeah, it's a, it's an evolution. And, mm. you know, although I'm no longer living with chronic pain or depression or anxiety, mm. like I once was, you know, I'm still relating to the underlying patterns of trauma and attachment wounding that rest beneath that, that used to be Mount Everest. Right. And because of decades of committed work and healing, what once was Mount Everest are now foothills. Mm. Um, and what once was just a, a storm cloud of anxiety, depression, and chronic pain are now like very much taking like a fine tooth comb through it and seeing like, 
oh, these are the behaviors, these are the beliefs, these are the emotions, these are the triggers. And so instead of it just being a dark storm cloud, I can see actually what is making up all of these weather patterns. So I'm in a, a much deeper relationship with all of those components, um, which makes it that much more manageable. But that's a practice. And life can still throw curveballs and can then activate you know, some of those pieces. Um, but then the, the, the healing journey equips us with the tools and the awareness so we can, you know, the recovery time um, is much uh, more easy. And the data points that we gather each time we, you know, our nervous system gets flooded or we get activated, you know, we start to gather more data points of understanding. So it helps to create that much more integration each time. I love that. Well, we are coming up on the end of our time here. So I wonder if you have one last, um, one last piece, if you could say one thing, that's just a quick little, take this with you nugget of wisdom. What would you add? You know, I think healing is kind of like following breadcrumbs and, um, you know, and we may find those breadcrumbs in, you know, places we didn't anticipate. And so to just trust those, trust those signposts on your journey and um, give yourself permission to follow them and explore. And I think in healing, we really need to become our own best advocates. So certain things may work and stick, others may not. And then even things that work and stick, they may evolve. Maybe they get us to just one place. Then then we, you know, switch trains, if you will, um, because there's a, a different pathway that will take us, you know, on our next phase of our journey. So, um, yeah, giving That's yourself beautiful. permission to be open to that exploration. Beautiful. I love it so much. Greg, I'm going to make sure your, your website link and anything else, your social media so that people can get in touch with you is there. But if you're interested in working with Greg, his website is Greg Whiting, W-I-E-T-I-N-G.com. Um, and this is clearly a brilliant and wonderful human being that's out there available to support you. So um, thank you, Greg, for making time and showing up and sharing your story and your work and your heart with us. It's been so lovely. My pleasure. Thanks, Bandy. Thank you for listening to episode 81 of Restorative Grief. I hope you take a moment to check in with your body and what it's sharing with you right now. There's no good or bad feeling. And if you feel nothing, that's okay. Nothing is the start of something. I have loved learning more and more about how we can attune with our own physical selves to notice what we might need for support in the moment and long term. Greg's wisdom and work underscores the importance of engaging our bodily wisdom, and I hope you took notes. Thank you again to the patrons of this show, and if this is your first time listening, thank you for joining our little community of grievers and self-healers. Restorative grief started as a place for my own heart to find safety after losing my mom and many other beautiful people in my life, but it has turned into an incredible community over the years that I am so grateful to be part of. Please remember to subscribe to the show and leave a glowing five-star review because that's so kind of you and share this episode with a friend. We could all use the reminder that we carry innate wisdom in our stories that is worth listening to. And as always, one last thing. Please remember, the only solution for grief is to do the work of grieving. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Mm